Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. At the end of the day, that song we just sang is really... Uh, we could walk out of here and that be the message for today. Um, all glory be to Christ. That that would be our aim and our focus. That if all else crumbles around us, all glory be to Christ. And we're going we're gonna to talk more about that today as we continue in our series through the book of James. And so I'd encourage you to take your Bibles And turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And uh, last week we went kind of from verse 1 through verse 9. I'm going to bump back to verse 7. And we're going to read through verse 12 this morning. And uh, last week, it's, it's kind of funny to me that as we've gone through James... Uh, there's multiple people who have started calling uh, my morning messages on the weekend uh, Matt's Sunday morning smackdown. Because it's hard stuff, right? It's hard and difficult. And uh, I'll never f- I-, I will not forget the few weeks back when I carried ropes and chains out onto the stage and someone said to me, oh, you know it's going to be a rough week when you are carrying ropes and chains onto the stage for the message. But in the middle of the challenge, and last week we focused a lot on the worthlessness of wealth. That if we fix our eyes so heavily on the things of this world and lose sight of Christ, then we should, as James said in the beginning of chapter 5, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. If that becomes our aim, then we're in danger. We really are. Um, Because the things of this world will pass away. And the things of this world, even in recognizing that they'll pass away, are very enticing. The things of this world have a draw to them. And I put myself in the same camp with all of you that have a draw to the things of the world. It it is easy to get sucked up into that. And that is why we need those gut checks to say, what has God called us to be? And to do. What does that look like? Uh, In the midst of the challenge, we have this encouragement and exhortation that James writes to who? Who is he writing to? Brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Over and over again we see this word, brothers. He's speaking to those who say, I follow Jesus. I choose to follow Him. And at the If nothing else today, you need to answer the question, who do you follow? Do you follow Christ? Do you you strive to follow after Jesus? Or do you follow another? And most commonly, the other is ourself. Do I 
surrender myself and follow Jesus, or do I give in to myself and do what I want to do? That's really most commonly one of those answers. And here's, here's something we need to wrestle with. Sometimes we like to think that we're standing, standing, I don't know if we're standing, sitting on the fence. There is no fence. There is no fence. And I, I hear this a lot. We talked about this as leaders yesterday. Um, there's not a fence that we stand on. It's either we fo- we're following Jesus or we're not. And there's a tension that exists between uh, my flesh and the Spirit of God that pulls me towards myself and my flesh all the time. But I have to decide, am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? And we each fall somewhere on that spectrum this morning. Um, Not in the middle of it. Not in the middle of it. And if you question where you sit in that, look at your life and how you live. Um, Because our actions reveal who we follow. They reveal that. I pray that we would be a people here who would be known to follow Jesus. But it means we have to wage war against our flesh. And that is never fun nor easy. But I want to I share what James writes as an encouragement to those who have already said, I follow Jesus. So look at verse 7. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door as an example of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Father, as we step into this today, may you open our eyes to the truth of your word and instruct us by your spirit that we would walk in faithfulness, that you would establish in us perseverance, that we might endure patiently, faithfully, and truthfully. For your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to walk out of here with this exhortation. Until Jesus returns, patiently, faithfully, truthfully endure. Until Jesus returns, patiently, faithfully, truthfully endure. That really sums up the entirety of these verses. If you cling to that exhortation, you grasp what James is seeking to communicate to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, one might question, and if you're just joining us in this, you may wonder, what would they have to endure? Well, if you go back to the beginning of this letter that James is writing, he is writing to those who are exiles those who have been dispersed, those who faced trial and condemnation for the very faith they claim. Those who followed Jesus here are facing a lot of intense struggle. 
That's why in the beginning of James, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You see, we're kind of circling back once again to this main concept where James is exhorting his brothers and sisters, stand firm, endure. The Lord's return is at hand. And you may be looking into that and going, man, James wrote this a long time ago and we're still here. Right? The world is still in shambles. Things are still not great. And yes, uh, when I think about that, I often refer back to uh, Old Testament scriptures that remind us that a thousand years is but a day in the eyes of the Lord. Right? And the reminder even from James earlier where he says, your life is but a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's a lot of perspective for us where life seems to be really long and weary at times and difficult and challenging. And yet the reality is if you talk to most people who are near the end of their life, what do they tell you? That went by so fast. It was like yesterday. And the older you get, I hear this all the time, the older you get, the faster it goes. Well, that's what it feels like, right? And so in the scope of this, when we think back across the whole of Scripture, it really hasn't been that long in the eyes of the Lord. So how do we navigate the challenges we face? How do we navigate the hardship that we encounter? How do we step into this biblically? The first thing that we see James encourage multiple times is to endure patiently. Everyone say patiently. Verse 7, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Now, this is one of those words that we often don't, Anymore, people, people say, I'm not going to pray for patience because then God's going to give me something to be impatient about. Right? I mean, we live this way, and we live in a culture where we are some of the most impatient people around. That's why we get mad when we order Amazon Prime two-day shipping. It takes three days. Are you kidding me? Right? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it was like two weeks. And now, three days. I can't believe it's three days. But, but here, I, I want us, when we hear the word patience, so often our mind goes to, the, to aspects of life like that. We, we jump to these realities of trivial matters, like I really don't want to wait in line at the store. Or I really don't want to get stuck in traffic. Now, those things be true, mostly because we have over-busied our lives where I have so much to do and so little time that I'm just going to, need, I need the least resistance in everything that I step into. But specifically, James is talking about being patient for something that's of significantly more value than these little trivial things that we get so agitated about. He, he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. It's, it's a focus back on the things that are eternal in nature, which are, if we're following Jesus, are of significantly greater importance than how long I'm going to stand in line at the store. But too often, 
we get distracted by these more trivial matters. And we say to ourselves, oh, we, really, we, we go, my, what incredible suffering I endure as I wait in line. And when we say that out loud, we notice how ridiculous that is, right? Oh, it, it cost me an extra five minutes of my day. But how often do we come back to this place in the midst of hardship and suffering and trial and temptation and say, I'm going to be patient because I know the Lord will return. I know He will make all things new again. I know that this is not the end. How often do we do that? I confess that I was very convicted about that today because I am the person who tries to evaluate how I can navigate traffic in a way to get to my destination the fastest. I'm the person who looks at the shipping date when I order a package because I want to see if they'll get it here when I want them to get it here. I'm that person, okay? But how much more should we be patiently anticipating the redemption of all things? And instead, we've become distracted by things that don't matter. I was reminded of this, again, very specifically. Uh, In March, uh, I went to a conference within our uh, EFCA district. It's one of my favorite conferences to go to because it's not a conference as you would think of it, a conference being. In fact, there was about ten of us that were there. And and all pastors within uh, the Evangelical Free Church, all pastors of churches that are of similar size, we we face similar challenges. And we just sit together for three days and we talk very intentionally about specific challenges, how we encounter them biblically. We pray for one another. We open scripture together. It's fantastic. But one one of the guys there has the opportunity through Zoom to encourage and equip around 150 different pastors all over the globe. And one of the guys he works with asked him to share his testimony with our small group of guys that were gathered. Uh, This guy is a pastor in India, and when he was a child, uh, a missionary came into their home and gave their family a Bible and shared the gospel with them. And so this man's father started reading the Bible with their family every evening, and everyone in their home came to faith in Christ. Now, as soon as that happened, that the culture around them retaliated against their family, came into their home and beat them all, physically beat them, to the point that this man's father ended up dying because of his injuries. Now, this guy boldly proclaims Christ to the area around him in recognition that his father was willing to claim Christ even to the point of death. This own man's son was recently in a group of peers who were primarily of a different faith group and was sharing the gospel with them, and they beat his son. And so he was asking for prayer for his son to be healed from the wounds. But in the content of this message that he had shared, there was a joy, an exuberant joy, that radiated through this man's life because he knew that all of that persecution they were facing was so pointless in the scope of what eternity had to offer. Even in the face of such intense difficulty and seeing this happen both to himself, to his family, he still proclaimed that there is nothing of greater value than Christ. And I will proclaim this to the end of my life. 
He patiently endured even the persecution coming to his own home and his own family. And I sat there as I listened to that, and the first question I thought to myself is, how would I respond to the same intense persecution that this brother in Christ has endured? Could I, with the same joy and the same faith, say there is nothing worth more? Would we, as a church... Be so untethered from the world and free in Christ that in the face of such intense persecution, stand firm and say there is nothing of greater value and endure patiently knowing that this is not the end. It's a question we have to wrestle with. Now the patience, James gives a practical image picture here of the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. I have to admit, this week, this was very pertinent as uh, we planted a lot of crop early and then it didn't get any rain and have been praying earnestly that there would be some rain to soften the soil so these crops would come through. And I thought, Lord, this is a fantastic time for this message. As we wait, out of our control, right? The, the growth of... We could plant the seed, we could prep the soil... But as far as the growth, as far as the rains, as far as all, we have no control over that. That's why over and over and again in Scripture, there's this illustration given of the farmer who recognizes they don't have control over these things, but God does. The correlation to that should be that our patience should be like the farmer who waits for his crops to grow. They've done the work. They continue to be faithful. They continue to put things in place, and then you trust the Lord. You trust the Lord. Now, I'll tell you, there are farmers out there that as soon as stuff starts turning bad, it is doomsday. Everyone's going to go broke. There's no rain. It's going to be bad. Get ready. And my goodness, family, the same thing happens in the church. Right? You've got some people that go, the Lord's faithful, it's going to be fine, and then you've got doomsday people. Look at the world. Things are going to pot. What are we going to do? world's coming to an end. Well, that's true, but it doesn't change the end result, right? It doesn't change our responsibility as followers of Jesus. You see, we so often allow these distractions to get in the way, and we don't endure patiently. We, in fact, endure very impatiently. And this leads to something he encounters here. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Why, why would he bring this up? Well, I'll tell you why. In the midst of intense trial and hardship, when things are out of control, guess what we look for? Who can I blame? Whose fault is this? Who is it that I can point to and say, it's their fault. It's this group of people's fault. Instead, James encourages them to say, don't grumble against one another, because grumbling against one another actually brings condemnation against you. But instead, we should endure patiently. When I'm impatient, that's when I'm prone to grumble. And all of us could resonate with that at some level. So the question becomes, if I'm not, how do I, what do I fix my eyes on in order that I endure patiently? And for that, I just want you to jot down in your notes Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, we have this phenomenal reminder 
that it's not only us who groan, but all of creation groans as it waits eagerly for the adoption of... It waits eagerly for the redemption that's going to come when Christ returns. That, That is... If you are living today and you look around the world and you, you kind of sit back and go, Ugh, that's biblical. But what do you do with that? What do we do with that? It's biblical to groan in anguish over what's happening. It's biblical to groan in anguish over our own sinfulness and where we misstep. It, that's, those are biblical realities. The question is, do I then turn that and say, The Lord has redeemed me in Christ. And He has promised that this is not the way things will be forever. And if I voice that and speak that, all of a sudden, my motivation for patiently enduring just got significantly higher. Why? Because I know this is not the end. Too often we've convinced ourselves that the way things are now is the, is the end of the story. And so then we, we fight to preserve what we think should be instead of patiently, faithfully, obediently enduring. Endure patiently. The second piece of this, endure faithfully. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So you have these two examples, both of suffering and patience, but also steadfastness and endurance. It's the, the prophets and Job. If, if you've never read the Old Testament prophets, what you find is that it brings about this recognition, the prophets were some of the loneliest people in their day. Why? Because they were speaking the truths of what was happening and what was coming, and everybody else was more concerned with doing their own thing. So the prophets faithfully suffered and endured. Why? Because the word of the Lord is worth that. The truth of what God is doing and will do is worth that. So you want an example of who can we look at that suffered and endured patiently and faithfully walked in obedience. The prophets are a great example. That's one of the reasons we should read the whole counsel of God's word, not just the parts that we like. Helps to not only inform us, but also give us practical examples of these are people who lived it. So be more like then, and the most profound example that we see in that is Jesus. Now, steadfastness and endurance, if you are not familiar with the story of Job, I'll summarize it for you. Job was a man of God who was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of earthly possessions. He was someone who we would look at and say, this guy is, quote unquote, a blessed man. And all of it was taken away from him. Every bit of it. Not just materially, but also physically. His physical health deteriorated. And in the midst of that intense trial, Job started off really good. 
and then later on ended up being rebuked by God. At the beginning of his trial, this is what Job says in Job 121. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, if that was consistent, Job would have been a a really model example of this. Later on, as the trials keep coming, he kind of collapses under bad advice that his friends gave him. And God ends up stepping in, and in Job chapter 38, God starts his rebuke in a way that essentially says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I set all of this in motion? And we see in Job what we often see in ourselves that God, I think I know better than you. And so I'm going to tell you what should be and what should happen because I've got this all figured out. And when we're prone to do that, um, parents, if you've ever been a parent, you, would, you, you know this better than anyone. When your small, young child comes up to you and says, you do this. And you just kind of laugh. Right? I don't think so. Why is that? Well, because there is an immaturity in my child to where they don't see the whole picture. The same is true about us in relation to God. So, what are we prone to do? Job steadfastly endured trial and ends up still being rebuked by the Lord. Do we endure faithfully? Or are we prone to give in and quit and rebuke God? Which I would never recommend that you do that. Question God? That's okay. Rebuke God? Not a good plan. Endure patiently, endure faithfully. Lastly, in verse 12, endure truthfully. Above all brothers... So there's a priority given here. Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by another any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. It's interesting, this verse is often quoted completely out of context on its own. And sometimes it's even taken to another level where people take this, uh, where someone says a curse word, and they say, the Bible says don't swear. Actually, the Bible goes further in Ephesians 4 and says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. If you want to be really specific, that goes way beyond curse words and to the content of what you say. It's way more intense. But what this is actually talking about is in the midst of the trial, how do I endure? Well, there's a lot of people in the face of difficulty and challenge who are prone to take matters into their own hands, and we may attempt to bargain with God. We may say to God, God, I swear, if you do this and this, I'll do this. Or we say that to one another. I swear this is true. So what is he talking about here? Well, if we're following Jesus unashamedly, then we should be such a people that when we say yes, it means yes. And when we say no, it means no. There shouldn't be the need for us to swear because we would be found to be faithful, patient, 
trustworthy people. That when God calls on us to do something, we say, yes, I will. And it means not I'm going to do it my way, but yes, I will. The call on the follower of Jesus is to be a person of truth. That is an oath should not have to be taken for the follower of Jesus to be trustworthy. We should be a people who honor our word as we wait on the Lord. So where do I find the motivation to endure? Where do we find the motivation to endure the challenges? I know, sitting here in this room, that many of you are enduring intense trials that a majority of people may be completely unaware of. I know some of you have encountered specific slander for you seeking to follow after Jesus. I know there's a weightiness that comes as you step into workplaces and cultures that are more and more hostile to anything to do with Christianity. So where do I find my motivation to endure? In this, I'm going to take you back to verse 11. At the end of verse 11, it says, You have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Family, our motivation to endure should be simply the truth of what God in Christ has already done. Our motivation to continue pressing forward should be in an acknowledgement that I cannot step into eternity of my own ability. I cannot stand before God of my own strength or my own power, but God made a way. Through Jesus, of which Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. At the end of the day, no matter what happens, family, in your own personal life, in your work life, in your relationships, no matter what happens, God is still faithful. How can we know that to be true? Because He already sent His Son. Jesus already paid the price for you. The question is, who will you follow? Our motivation to endure patiently, faithfully, and truthfully is found in the very truth of what Christ endured on our behalf. So that I can look to Him and go, my goodness, what I'm enduring today is nothing compared to what Jesus already endured on my behalf. And therefore, I can have the confidence to say, as we sang earlier, it is well with my soul. Not because the circumstances around me are good. Not because the world is getting better. Not because all my problems seem to be dissipating. But because God, who is merciful and compassionate, has given us Christ. That's why we sang the last song. All glory be to Christ in all things that our gaze would be back on Him. Why? Because He is the only way. And that as we look at Christ, 
the trials and the struggles that we face in this world would fade in comparison and we could patiently, faithfully, truthfully endure looking forward to the day He returns and makes all things new. Now, practically speaking, when we take communion together, this is a way of us enduring. It should be. It should be the time we take to reflect and say, I'm going to remember what Christ has done on our behalf and therefore be motivated to step into the world with renewed hope and confidence that I do not have to fear because He has already gone before me. He's already won. I just have to be faithful and follow. So I'm going to ask uh, those who are going to serve communion this morning um, to come forward. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. In the face of the trials that you're encountering today, I want you to reflect on why we have reason in Christ to have hope. Why we have reason in Christ to endure and to prioritize enduring because of what He has endured. And so as this is served, I just want you to reflect. I want you to reflect on your own life, on where you've been, on the course of where you're going. When it comes to participating in this, the other piece that I encourage you in is uh, this time is really meant for those who've already said, I follow Jesus. And why, you may ask, well, why is that? Well, because when I partake of communion, I am saying to everyone around me, I'm with you. Together, we're going to follow Jesus the way He's called us to. And if I'm not really seeking to follow Jesus, then I'm really, if I take this, I'm deceiving everyone around me, but I'm also deceiving myself. And in 1 Corinthians 11, there's exhortation uh, to be careful that you don't take the Lord's Supper wrongly. And so there's an evaluation that needs to take place to go, who do I follow today? Who do I follow today? If you're not sure then I'm going to ask you after everything is done, just come talk with me. And let's prayerfully seek the Lord on where you're at and where He's calling you to be. Father, as we step into this, may You help us to faithfully evaluate where we are and who we follow. Lord, that You would give us the motivation rooted in what Jesus has done to endure patiently, faithfully, truthfully, for your glory. Use this time to refine who we are as a people that we would walk as those possessed by you for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.